0: Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Um, now, for those of you that weren't here, we started this series some time ago, and I started it with a, a guy named Lenny Kravitz. I don't know how many of you know Lenny Kravitz. Uh, kind of a rock star, you know, uh, famous for a number of songs, one of which, American Woman, he made that one pretty popular, but there was one, he was just kind of looking at the state of the world, and he said, this place is a wreck, and he was kind of taking a look at his faith, and seeing that the world didn't line up with what Jesus was telling us to do, and so he ends up writing a song that he said, after he wrote, he was like, I wouldn't really expect the song to be a big deal, he was really writing it just as a more of a reflection, but he wrote it, and uh, it goes like this, it goes back to 1993, He says, I was born long ago, by the way, it's Jesus. It wasn't Lenny Kravitz, right? I was born long ago. I'm the chosen, I'm the one. I have come to save the day and I won't leave until I'm done. There's your good rhyme, right? But this was the part, this was kind of the line. This is the hook. He said, what I really wanna know is, and he's talking about Jesus here, are you gonna go my way? Are you gonna go my way? Now you got most of the world not going his way. Lenny Kravitz through the voice of Jesus is saying, this is what i want to know now this i think is a call for the church for the people that are the ones that say that they've given their lives to jesus we've been asking this question have you really have you really uh, of the, of the 90 or so times in scripture that jesus is talking with people that is in the new testament around 60 or so times the people that are around him are referring to him as rabbi or teacher And so when we talk about what it means to look like Jesus, what this means is is that we have to put ourselves under the teaching of Jesus. This is where it starts. You you actually cannot embody someone that you don't know. If you don't know how they think, if you don't know how they lived, then you don't know the way they go. So it's really important that you start by saturating yourself with the word, but here's the way that it happened back then, back in Bible times, for those of you who wanna talk about it like that. So up until around 12 years old, kids, Just so you know, here's what you would be learning. You'd be learning reading, writing, and arithmeticing. So that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? You would be learning the basics. But by 12, they would have memorized the Torah, which means Genesis to Deuteronomy. That's a pretty impressive feat, wouldn't you agree? They would have it learned, guys and gals. They would stand up in front of a crowd and they would even do these big recitations for people to watch them. I've actually been in Israel down in Jerusalem and watched that happen. It's actually pretty impressive. Now, from around 12 to 14 or so, meaning of age, this part was for men only. There was a school that was beside the synagogue where they would memorize the entire Old Testament. That's even more impressive to me. Often and usually by reciting it out loud, they just kept reciting it back and forth. By the time they were around 14 to 15 years old, They usually had the whole thing locked down. By the way, another little piece of trivia, let's step back. Around 12 years old back then, that's usually when they started to arrange marriages. I have a (laughs) 12-year-old. That ain't gonna happen. You know, now, if she wants to memorize Genesis to Deuteronomy, that's great, she can go for it, but the arrangements, forget it. Now, after this time where they've memorized the entire Old Testament... What they would do is a select group. So you would have these rabbis and the rabbis might look at somebody and go, you know what? I see great promise in you. And as a result, they would identify you and then say, I'm gonna take you under my wing. And they would directly mentor them in the next stages of their development. You would be, um, they were, were, this is by the way, this is where we get the word disciple. You become a disciple of them. You would be interrogated about your knowledge of the Old Testament. They would quiz you about rabbinic interpret, the rabbis, how they were interpreted the Old Testament you would master a trade you would become good at a skill but this was the thing the goal was to become to become what the teacher is and to do what the teacher does did you catch that is to become what the teacher is and to do what the teacher does. Here's what this means. And I love this quote by John Mark Comer. He says, so we spend time with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus, so that we can do what Jesus did. And when you think about the ministry of Jesus, he brings these guys under his wing, he trains them up, and then he walks out into a crowd after their training. And he goes, there's a sick person over there and I want you to go pray over them. It wasn't him anymore, you catch? Uh, he would look over here and there was a demon-possessed man. And He'd be like, you, I want you to go and help this guy. And he was like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm just kidding, he didn't do that. Can you imagine all of a sudden the commissioning of the ministry, Jesus starts handing it off. When? After he had walked with them and after he had trained them. It wasn't just a matter of trying to settle intellectual curiosity. It was instilling his way of life into them and then saying, go do this. You go do this. The difference though, and this was was what was big. When it came to Jewish practices, the rabbi might identify one person and say, I'm gonna take you under my wing. I'm gonna mentor you. Jesus was completely different. He said, whoever wants to can come to me. Whoever wants to can come to me this is supposed to be kind of the ebb and flow it's just kind of it's what you do what you do is you think Jesus's thoughts you do Jesus things it's his way of life so this is what I've been thinking about over the course of this week if we know how Jesus lived and we have the gospels we know then why aren't more people living like he did that's an interesting question and I think that there are layers to it I think one of the layers is this I think we're more sinful than we ever want to admit I think that's part. Of, I think that's part of it. I don't think that that's all of it. Um, I think, for example, studying Scripture is good, but I think actually utilizing Scripture for your practical decision making in your life is even better. But I think there's more. I mean, as a rule, as a rule, I think we have failed in becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. I think we fail. Not not just knowers of doctrine, but I think we have failed. Generally speaking, and becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. And the story of that, I think, has to do with how we use our time. It's how we use our time. It's what we're doing on a Monday and a Tuesday. There's a book called Your Future Self Will Thank You. And he said, the average American watches five hours of television a day and averages 11 hours of screen time in a day. That's average, some are more, some are less. That's the way it balances out. So I was doing a little bit of math here. Here's what that means. If you sleep eight hours, that means that you've got about six hours left in a day to actually make eye contact with another human being and to say something meaningful or to do something meaningful. The average American house has seven digitally connected devices. Little bit of a challenge for you here. Go home and check yours out. I actually did mine yesterday, and I'm not going to tell you the number. <laughs> it's 13. That blew my mind. I was like, 13? What's going on in this place? I even thought the neighbors were hacking me. You know, I immediately started blaming it on the neighbors, right? But then I started thinking, there's me, there's Wendy, there's you know, I started going down the line. I was like, well, that uh, that does add up pretty quickly, right? 13 devices in my home. If you take a look at it, though. Some would say we live, prospectively, we live in the time where we can be the most connected than we have ever been. But the fact is, is we are more disconnected than we have ever been. It's just true. Um, And part of the kickback from this, like the what's happening in this, is you're finding people to be more angry and more discontented than they have ever been. So not only are we more disconnected in interpersonal relationships, we're more angry and discontented. Let me speak to that for just a second. In the same book, Your Future Self Will Thank You, there was this quote, I thought was hilarious. He said, sure, some people vacation in Tangier and eat sushi on mountaintops because these are the pictures that they're showing when they, they put them out there, right? He said, but you know, most of the times their lives just aren't that glamorous. And he's absolutely right. There was even a pastor that made this point. He said, we're comparing our behind the scenes, like you going to H-E-B to get groceries and they're posting pictures of them eating on a mountaintop. And he go, why isn't my life like that? I just want my life like that. Well, we all want our life like that, but you know what? You gotta eat sometime. Somebody's gotta go to H-E-B. You get the point. Here's the quote. We're comparing our behind the scenes with their highlight reel. And we become completely dissatisfied with life. And what seems a hobby, meaning you on your phone, me on my phone, what seems a hobby is actually fertilizer for sins that stem from comparison. You become envious You become covetous, you become greedy, you become a worrier, and it's pulling you away from God. It's pulling you away. The founding president of Facebook named Sean Parker said that the goal of Facebook when it started was this, and I just quote him, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible by exploiting a vulnerability in your human psychology? They have algorithms built in, tailored to you to get you more and more hooked. He's telling you this is what the conversations they had before they started was to get you addicted. And one of the ways that they would do it is that they could put clickbait in front of you that ticked you off. Anger ramped up, you going there. And they knew this and they feed it and they feed it and they feed it. And here's the thing, and you buy it and you buy it and you buy it. Think about it. Here's what he went on to say. He said, we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit, kind of that little feel good. We need to give you a little bit of a dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or post or whatever. And here's what he went on to say. It's a social validation feedback loop. I want you to get just a little bit of validation so that you'll just keep on coming back. And then he goes like that. He said, exactly the kind of thing a hacker like myself would come up with. Except the difference is he's not hacking computers. He was hacking your soul. And he knew it. They knew it. It was intentional. It's kind of like how drug dealers work. Usually what they'll do on the front end is they're gonna give you some things for free because they know that if they can get you, they got you. Here's a little something free because we know that we're gonna have you on the other side of it. It's exactly the same way. And what's become as a result is extraordinary amount of time spent on things that don't build relationships at all. And by that, I'm not just talking about your relationships with people. I'm talking about your relationship with your Lord. We steal time in other ways. And then we wonder why our soul is starving. Maybe, maybe it's because we're not feeding it. Maybe it's because we're not feeding it. Let me me be honest, friends. Having self-control, that's always been hard work. You have seen this over this series where Jesus uses these words, agonize in this, strive for this. This is work. This is work. But that's not a bad thing. But I will say this, the distractions that we face right now, I believe are utterly unique. I've long believed that if the internet existed in 1900, they would have had the same pornography problem back then that we do right now. It was more a matter of access than it was anything, but here's a little something to tip you off. In uh, 2022, uh, the porn industry, their revenue increased $5.9 billion from the year before. That's pretty impressive. It's not good, but it's impressive. Nothing new about pornography, my friends. It's just that the access changed the game. And I want to give you some perspective here. Just between the years 2015 and 2017, and let me just give you the quote here humans watched a total of 1 million years of pornography on one website. Between 2015 and 2017. Can we agree we have a problem? And it's not just a pornography problem. It's just, we have a problem with devices in general. Let me, let me, so it got me thinking, You know, Justin Martyr, he was an early Christian thinker. He was an apologist of the Christian faith. And one of the things that he said, he named four challenges for the early Christians, he said that would steal their relationship with Jesus. Here was one, sexual immorality, magic, wealth, and hate. Andy Crouch was looking at Justin Martyr's list And he said, you know, I think if we remove magic and replace it with technology, the rest of the list seems about right. Seems about right. So it got me wondering. We we give ourselves to all kinds. Our schedules are so full. I thought I would get an amen when I said that. Our schedules are so full and our souls are so starved. We're starving. And so it got me thinking. We participate in watching TV, and there's nothing wrong with chilling. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't don't think I'm going there. But it got me thinking, how many times does the average person go to feed their soul like at church or to worship? Well, 20% of Americans attend church every week. 41% of Americans maybe once a month. 57% of Americans basically never. That's where we're at. So on the one hand, we have people looking at the world and going, this place is a train wreck. And it absolutely is. All you have to be is minimally observant. But what they're not doing is looking at the pattern of their life and saying, what needs to change? Commitment needs to change. Neil Postman, who years ago used to be kind of a social commentator kind of thing. One of the things he said, and this was decades ago, we are a people on the verge of amusing ourselves to death. And he was absolutely right. Now we've just, we've just ramp we put it on steroids. He was absolutely right. So how do we deal with this? One, I think is we follow some advice from Paul. You know, if you were to look at Romans uh, chapter six, he talks about the, the power that the body can have over you. And what he says, you actually have to beat it into submission. And it's the exact same thing. And the only way that you can do it is by reorienting your life. You learn to say no to the impulses of your body in every area. You never do something simply because it's something that you want. You always let the will of God have the final say. But some of us have these habits that are so ingrained is like you are going to have to set. I was thinking about this week. Uh, Avery, my oldest, uh, this summer, she worked for Pine Cove City. And what she did was she would go to a church. They would actually set the camp up around the church. They would run the camp the whole week. At the end of the week, they would break it down. They would go to another church. They would get over there, they would set it up. Now, this is the way it worked for them though. Um, She did not get to have her phone this summer except for a little bit of a window on a Saturday afternoon, once they had gotten all of their work done. She got to call us and say, hey, I'm just checking in. Hey, how'd the week go? And we'd talk about the week and we'd visit a little bit with each other. And then she hung up and she had to get back to work. There was something interesting as she got to the end of the summer, we, she and I were talking after she got back and before she headed off to college. Um, she, she said, you know, I, I, I realized how much time I was spending on that thing. Um, but once they literally took it away from me, I had a completely different set of habits and I realized how much I didn't want it anymore. Isn't that great? She's, so instead of like trying to live vicariously through social media, I've decided to actually just go have a life. That's a brilliant insight. Maybe we should all listen to her wisdom. Maybe we should, because here's why. There's been a soul toll. There's been a soul toll. We are distracted, And generally speaking, we are spiritually unwell. Generally speaking. Uh, Let me quote again, your future self will thank you. Here's what he said. Once you have conditioned your brain to require constant entertainment, quieting your soul to commune with God becomes nearly impossible. We can't even hold a thought for 10 seconds. Let me ask you this question. Don't raise your hands. (laughs) Please. How many of you have a hard time finishing your prayer? You start. You're 15, 20 seconds in, and then you're gone. And you're so far gone after several minutes that you can go, wait, did I start? I think I started praying, but I can't remember, what did I even say? Have you ever found yourself there? And the reason that it's that way, not just in sense of your prayer life, we're having the same problems in our relationships, husbands and wives, parents with children, children with parents, It's gotten to the point that if we don't communicate in like a one second blip, we've already lost each other. This is why, is because it literally rewired your brain. And this is what got John Ortberg, who was a California based pastor and writer. He was talking about a guy that changed his life, is Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard has written a number of books. He's with the Lord, but he had written a number of books on spiritual formation. And there was this great story because Ortberg was pastoring this church. The church really started to grow the demands on his time just became exponential. And he said, there's an interesting kind of relationship here. He said, one, we see God doing amazing things in our church. He said, I'm so thankful for that. I wouldn't want to change that. He said, but the toll that it's taken on me, uh, I don't know. He said, because I am so busy that I don't have the time to commune and connect with God anymore. And so he calls Dallas Willard, who's his mentor, and he says, "How, how, how do I do it, how do I do it? How do I stay in contact with God? How do I continue to hear from God? Because I think my schedule has basically choked him out. And the answer that Dallas Willard gave him was this. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so John Ortberg goes, that's great. What else do I have to do? And Dallas Willard said, nothing, nothing. If you kill the busyness, it creates the space for the connection. So you ruthlessly eliminate the hurry from your life. It's a great insight. That's why John Mark Comer, who was highly impacted by the writings of Dallas Willard said, so if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You cannot keep doing the same and think that it's going to work. You have to overhaul your life give Jesus the space to work and you will change. You will change. Brett McCracken wrote a a really interesting book and in it he provides what's called the wisdom pyramid and I'm going to show it to you because practically most of us have this inverted. It's backwards. So when you talk about how it is that you spend your time, this is the way that the pyramid should actually work. You have a foundation where you're built on the word. You You need your daily food. You need the word. Second, is the time that you spend in the local church investing in the work of the church. So it's not just that you're in the word, it's that you're in the work as well. These are what give you the embodied rhythms and worship that your soul needs so that your soul is fed. You're connected to wise people in a physical space. We need to be proximate to each other. When Jesus was calling the disciples out, he said, drop your nets, come follow me. Here's what he didn't say. I'm gonna go do some pretty amazing stuff. When I come back, I'm gonna give you a report. It's gonna satisfy you intellectually and then you can go back to fishing and whatever and then I'm gonna go back to the real work instead what did he say you need to drop this and you need to come with me physically they were with him physically we need to be with each other we just do you need to be surrounded by godly and wise people they are game changers we need to be instructed in time-tested theology we need that and we need the continuity of it if you were to say with regard to your soul what if I were to say this how often do you eat let's just go on the average you eat three times a day Why? It's because that's what your body needs for the fuel. How many times do you feed your soul in a day? Because your soul needs it. We don't deprive ourselves of the physical needs. We don't need to deprive ourselves of the spiritual needs. You be in the Word, you be in the church. We need to be out to experience, and, and when you look at, at, at Romans, you know, Paul says that you can see the invisible attributes of God through creation. We need to be out without distraction, seeing the beauty of the world and soaking it up, and you will be connected to God. To show gratitude for all of the things that He's given in the world that we have and to enjoy the beauty of it. If we don't have the space for it, we won't have the gratitude for it either. Books, and I mean good books, not bad books. We need to spend time in books that are filled with wisdom. Some of us are buying books that's filled with trash and we're entertained, but it's not necessarily feeding our soul. And then only at the top do you see the internet. Now, some of that is unavoidable and I get it. Some of you work, you have to be on your computer. Trust, I'm not knocking you for that. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm talking about the unhealthy trends that come with it. You know, so you need to be looking at sources that are good sources. Sometimes we're just searching because for the sake of searching, the next thing you know, it's four hours later and you're reading a bunch of trash. There's a better way to use your time and using social media sparingly. I actually put the original Twitter up there. I should have put X because you know, it's been renamed. You get the idea, right? That's at the top. Here's the problem. What we've done with our time is we've taken the pyramid and we flipped it. And then you look around and you say, there's chaos, There's disorder. You have more people dealing with suicide and suicidal ideation. You have higher levels of anxiety. You have higher levels of depression and you have souls that are flat empty. Maybe it's time to change things. Maybe it's just time to change things. Notice a pattern in Jesus's life. I'm gonna give you a couple of examples here from the gospels in Luke chapter five, verses 15 and 16. Despite Jesus's plea that his miracles be kept secret, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. I'm gonna be honest with you, I'd go, wouldn't you? But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Often, often. In Luke chapter six, verses 12 and 13, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him. Do you see a trend here in the life of Jesus just yet? He withdrew, he got quiet, so he could hear God again. He withdrew. Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. On the one hand, he's going up to the mountains. That's probably where I would go. Next thing you know, he's out in a boat. Do we have any boat owners out there? It's a good way to get away from people. But so you can hear again. Notice in this case, Jesus got some space because he was grieving. John the Baptist is dead, and he's just hurting. He's hurting. And what was his reaction? I need to talk to my father. Even Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was still there, alone. You see these patterns in the life of Jesus, and they're given to us for a reason. If we wanna be like him, we do the things that he does. We do the things that he did, and it changes us. It changes us. It literally goes to the interior of your soul. It breaks it down and it builds something else up that is new and beautiful. See, we can't see our time in prayer and confession and scripture and service to each other as just one more thing that I gotta do. We can't see it like that. We have to see it as an absolutely essential part of our life so that we can live the life abundant that he said he wanted to give us. It's just our way and His way aren't the same. So who's gonna win? Who's gonna win? If you notice in the scripture that I was reading to you this morning, Jesus made the time to listen to the Father. He made time to receive from Him. He took the time to refuel. He took the time to reconnect, even before and after the busyness of a day. If you were to look at John chapter four, There's this famous story, the woman at the well. Some of you have heard it. Jesus has already been ministering all day. And the way it describes it is he comes up to the well. And when he comes to the well, it says he sat down. That's actually probably not the best way to treat the Greek there. It's probably more like this. He is so exhausted that when he finally gets to the well, he drops to the ground. Have you ever been that tired? Now I bring that up basically to say this. Sometimes life's gonna be like that. You're just dog tired and you weren't doing anything wrong at all, it was just life. He's doing ministry, he's beat, he is beat. He drops to the ground and what happens? Here comes this woman and what does Jesus do? He sits up and he ministers to her, that's what he does. There are going to be moments of fatigue. There's nothing in this where I would say, you know what? You just live like Jesus and everything is gonna be like, the water is never gonna be choppy. You will never hear me say that in my life because in this world you will have trouble. You can take that to the bank, but take heart because I've overcome the world. I think this is what Jesus is is trying to see by the witness that he gives us in his word is that we have a choice to make with who we're actually going to follow. Based on the trends that we're seeing, most of us are actually not following him. Most of us are not following him. We're following somebody else. And the proof of it is, where we've given our time, we're distracted. Have you ever had a conversation? Married people, let me talk to you for a second. Are y'all ready? Have you ever had a conversation where your spouse looks at you and they say this, did you hear me? (laughs) Have you ever had that moment? Everybody's looking at each other now, all right? (laughs) Did you hear me? And then you're sitting there going, of course I did. And then you just hope to the good Lord, they don't ask, what did I say? (laughs) What did I say? Oh, you know what you said. You know what you said, girl. Okay, here's the reason that I'm bringing it up is because if we are so distracted because we have so packed our schedule out, I can't help but think that maybe God feels the same way. Are you hearing me? Are you listening? What did I say? This morning is is really a morning of a decision point, isn't it? And if, if what you have going on in your life is that you've, you've got the rhythms built into your life where the Holy Spirit can be deeply at work in you and that you are really embodying the way of Jesus, right now I'm giving you encouragement. Keep going the way. Keep going the way. But maybe this morning, what you do is you look at it and you go, I I have absolutely choked him out of my life. There's a reason I don't feel him. This morning can be a time where you make a decision. Something like what you would find in the book of Joshua. As for me and my house, today, we will serve the Lord. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.